Welcome to Biz Help For You with host Candy Messer. Entrepreneurs like to focus on the big picture, like profitability, success, and a smooth running organization. There always seems to be those little things like taxes, employee compensation, laws, regulations, and more. Now you can get the answers you need in one place. Join us today as we break it all down for you. Now, here is your host, Candy Messer. Hello, and welcome to Biz Help For You with Candy Messer. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you found the information on last week's show, the different types of insurance to protect your business, informative. If you are unable to join us and would like to listen to the show, a link is located under the episode directory on my Voice America page, as well as links for iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. If there are topics you'd find beneficial or questions you have, please feel free to reach out to me at media at abnp.com. So I'm so glad to welcome Katherine Graham back to the show. She was a guest in December, and we talked about financial aid tips to help pay for college. If you missed the episode and would like to hear the information, you can find a link on my Voice America page or the podcast, podcast network for December 3rd, 2019. But as a refresher, let's hear a bit more about her background. Katherine Graham is the founder of the Financial Aid Shop, and creator of the Financial Aid Formula, Winning Strategies from Grade School to Graduation, a comprehensive online education program designed for parents with children planning on college. Catherine has worked 30 plus years in university financial aid administration, delivering over $3 billion in financial aid to thousands of students. In 2015, she launched her own financial aid consulting firm, providing coaching and professional development to financial aid professionals across the country. Catherine holds a BS degree from the University of Redlands and a master's in public administration from USC. She is a member of the National Association of Financial Aid Administrators, Western Associate of College Admission Counselors, and is chairwoman of the South Bay Business Women Association Scholarship Committee. Catherine is an advocate for foster youth and a former Los Angeles County foster parent. So, Catherine, welcome to the show. Candy, thanks for having me back. It's a great, you know, it's a topic that's important, right? The reason that I brought you back, we started talking about financial aid before yep. and just an overview of the FAFSA. Today, I really wanted to dig down deep into what the FAFSA really is, all the information so that they'll be able to apply and get the financial aid they need. So... Let's start with what really is the FAFSA and why is it important? All right. So the first step in any conversation about financial aid is actually applying for financial aid. And you do that with the free application for federal student aid, also known as the FAFSA application. And this is a form that if your student is under the age of 24, both the parent and students need to complete. And it is important to be aware of the dates and deadlines when completing the FAFSA because if you miss a deadline, the school might run out of financial aid from their own pockets to help you uh, with the college costs. So when you're looking at dates and deadlines, be sure to check out each of the schools that you're looking at. Look at their websites for the dates to complete their FAFSA. There might be different dates for the federal government for the state government and from the school. So it can be com complicated, so it's always a good idea to perhaps start an Excel spreadsheet with all the dates, even if you're applying for more than one school in particular. That's a good point to bring up because a lot of people probably don't think of these different deadlines. So being able to keep track of that is really important. Yeah. 
So, so obviously, then what is the FAFSA on the web worksheet? So preparing for the FAFSA is something that I encourage all families to do. And the easiest tool is to print out from student um, studentaid.gov or from fafsa.gov the FAFSA on the web worksheet. It gives you a preview of the questions that you'll be asked when you go online to complete the FAFSA application. And it is helpful because it introduces you to the vocabulary and to the documents that will be required to complete the FAFSA. It's not a form that you'll send into the federal government, but just a worksheet to help you get organized and get ready. One of the things that's important to note, though, is that all of the questions on the worksheet, there might be more or less questions on the actual FAFSA application online because the online form is a smart form. So mm -hmm. if the question doesn't apply to you, you wouldn't have to answer it. Oh, that's interesting. So I guess you could look at the worksheet kind of like when you're doing your tax prep, too, and the CPA sends you the worksheet and you fill in information. Exactly, exactly. And it does help understand what questions are for the student and which questions are for the parent. Very helpful. So can you explain, then, the FAFSA Online and the new FAFSA app? Sure. So the FAFSA Online is a tool that uh, is available now. And students can complete the FAFSA. It can be confusing. It can, families can complete the FAFSA for both the 1920 year, so it's available now for summer of 20, and also the 2021 FAFSA. And at fafsa.gov or studentaid.gov will take you directly to the online FAFSA, and you can uh, complete it with both you and the student, the parent and the student being in the same room, or if your student is across country already on campus at a school, you can, you can complete it and not even be in the same location. It's really gotten very simple. There are some key phrases to learn to make that process <laughs> simple, but it is becoming smarter and easier to complete the FAFSA. One of the things that is new is that there is a, a, a FAFSA app now. So mm -hmm. students and parents can complete the, the FAFSA application on, uh, on their iPhone or whatever mobile device that they are using. But one of the things that I did want to make note of is if you're completing the FAFSA on your iPhone, that you need to turn off what's called the uh, smart punctuation features mm -hmm. because there are some uh, inappropriate punctuation that's coming up on the FAFSA mobile app. So if you're using your app to complete the FAFSA, uh, turn off the punctuation. But if you're online, all you would need to do is make sure that you enable your pop-up so that you can get all of the tips to complete the FAFSA accurately. Interesting. <laughs> that's definitely new since I was helping my daughter apply when she was applying for, and that was only, I mean, she graduated five years ago. Right. But the yeah, app came up, I think, just last year, so it's relatively mm -hmm. new. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So what is the FSA ID and who needs one? Great question, Candy. Every student and every parent that's completing the FAFSA with their student will need their own FSA ID. This is, in essence, your signature that you will complete the FAFSA with and or apply for loans if you decide to take advantage of student or parent loans later on. The FSAID is one of the very first steps. I encourage families to get their FSAID today to complete the FAFSA tomorrow because it is something that um, will be validated with your social security number, your name, and date of birth. And it can take a couple of days for you to get your valid 
uh, FSA ID. So don't ever delay on getting that number. It's important that parents and students don't share this information nor share your FSA ID with anyone else. And um, always protect your FSA ID because you could get in trouble if it got into the wrong hands. Hmm. Interesting. So now let's get into what it's going to take to actually make filing this FAFSA form easier. So what are the documents that they would need to collect? So to prepare to complete the FAFSA and or the worksheet that we talked about, whether you be completing the FAFSA online or on your mobile app, is that we'll need both the social security number of the parent and student. And I know that seems really simple, <laughs> but many families, many students will not use the correct social security number. Uh, abbreviate their first name. Mm -hmm. Last name's typically not a problem unless there's been a, a marriage name change or a divorce name change. But always use your full name as it is directly on your social security number. So if your name is Candace, don't abbreviate and say Candy. Use mm -hmm. the full your full official name. Uh, this is one of the flags and one of the common mistakes that families make because your social security number will run through the social security database and if there is a mistake, your FAFSA could be rejected. So it's important to go exactly um, against your social security number. Student parent will need their driver's license if you have a driver's license. And when you complete the 2021 FAFSA, the current FAFSA for the upcoming fall of 20. The tax return year that you'll be using is the 2018 tax return. So we'll need your W-2s for 2018. If you have an employer, you'll need all of your tax information. If you are self-employed, you'll need all of your schedules that come with your 2018 tax returns and um, any untaxed income records as well for 2018. So after you have all of your tax records, the FAFSA will also ask information about your assets. They'll ask for information about your cash and savings. So we'll need, you'll need bank statements and any current business or investment information, business and farm records. If you have a business more than 100 employees, stocks and bonds. And lastly, if you are not a U.S. citizen and an eligible non-citizen, you'll need to provide your documentation or your eligibility number from your permanent residence documents. So can you just touch on that for a second, too, where you said if you're not a resident but you can potentially be applying, can you explain who that might be or how sure. that would work? So an eligible non-citizen is someone that is here legitimately in the United States. They have a Social Security number and they're able to work like any of us. So there's really no difference for financial aid eligibility between a US born mm -hmm. citizen and an eligible non-citizen that has gone through the immigration process to become a, an eligible non-citizen here in the Which United States. It's probably good for them to know because a lot of people may not realize mm -hmm. that they can apply. Mm -hmm. Okay, so any other documentation or support information that you think that they would need to get prepared to file that form. Well, one of the mistakes that families um, commonly make is they'll collect everything and then they'll wait. What you'll need to complete when it comes to your in, when it comes to your assets is that you when you the date you sign your document sign electronically your FAFSA is the date for which you should be uh, looking at your investments and your mm -hmm. assets. You don't want to use old information or projected information. You'll have to use accurate information. So. I know families that I work with at the financial aid shop, 
we just have them go online and say, what's your account balance on the day that they're mm -hmm. filing? So you don't want to use old information. You want to use current information. Interesting. And people may not realize, especially if they're looking at investments or something like that, that that can change, especially because the unrealized gain or loss, the changes in the month or right. something like that. Exactly. The market shifted the <laughs> other day. So you know, if we completed the FAFSA on February 1st, it's a very different story than it was uh, it, right. that it is today. Interesting. Yeah. So when completing the FAFSA, families obviously are going to use the prior prior tax year, which you just kind of mentioned, but can you explain again what sure, that means? Sure. So uh, several years ago, the federal government tried to simplify the financial aid process, which I think was a really good decision, where they said, well, in the old days, let's go back to the old days, Candy. So in the <laughs> old days, you would complete the 2021 FAFSA based on your 2019 tax returns. Mm -hmm. Well, many families haven't even completed their FAFSA. Right. by the time we needed families uh, b before they had completed their tax returns. Mm -hmm. So the federal government said, well, let's use the year before. So for the 2021 cycle, families are using 2018, and hopefully they've already completed their tax returns at this time. Mm -hmm. So what the federal government is finding is that more families are able to complete the FAFSA more accurately, which is really a good thing. Right. Well, that makes sense. If, you, if we're talking about right now the 2020 to 2021 for 2019 mm -hmm. tax returns, right, we're mm -hmm. only in the beginning of February. It's not even really due theoretically till April unless they file an extension. Then right. they have till October. So right. it makes sense why right. it's just easier to have prior And I tax bet you returns. encourage all of your your. <laughs> tax clients to file their tax returns as early as possible. Well, definitely, you know, especially, well, nowadays there's a lot of fraud going on too. Uh -huh. So we do say see your CPA and file that information because it's less likely that you'll be a victim mm -hmm. of identity theft sure. than those fraud things. Sure. That's another topic for another day too, right? But it's important for people to really understand why mm -hmm. they need that prior year. People may not realize, yeah. like, it doesn't make sense I need 2018 if I'm filing for 2020, 2021. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So I think uh, we actually have maybe one more question that we can start. If we run out of time, we can sure. always come back. But uh, completing the FAFSA with the IRS document retrieval tool to capture income tax information can be helpful. So can you explain how that works? Sure. So this conversation about fraud that we just had, how important it is that we're working with uh, legitimate professionals to get our tax returns done. The federal government has finally been able to connect the FAFSA application to the IRS. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is that while you need to have your tax documents with you when you complete your FAFSA application, you can click on a box that says, yes, please go to the IRS and capture my information directly from the IRS database. Mm -hmm. So it's a simple way to provide your information and the correct information about your 2018 tax returns. And it's easy, it's safe, it's secure. Families don't need to worry about there being any um, mishandling of information. And the good news is also is that when your financial data is pulled from the IRS, that information is not repeated back on the student aid report that you get after you complete the FAFSA. So there's less personal information provided now on the student aid report when you go through the DR DRT process. There is one family, one group of filers that cannot use the DRT and I wanted to let you know that if um, you are a 1040X, which is an amended tax filer, you cannot use the DRT process. So that's important to note. 
And then also there's a couple of others. Most families can use Mm -hmm. the DRT process. But if you have not filed your tax returns within the last three weeks electronically, Mm. or if you mailed in your FAFSA, which is an option, uh, I'm sorry, mailed in your tax returns at least 11 weeks ago, you can't use the DRT process because the IRS will not have processed your returns yet. So that's a, a caveat as well. And the last thing on the DRT, I know that this is um, something that's um, more common. Um, Head of household Mm. parents can't use the DRT. And if your parents' status is unmarried but you're living together, you can't use the DRT. So it's really designed for families that have one one parent, one filer, two parents both filing on the same documents. Mm. Interesting. You'd think, though, that they would be able to make that work with the different situations, especially like a head of household. That's, you know, so many families sure. are actually, head it's, of it's getting better. And I think the, as, as our system is getting smarter, we'll see improvements mm-hmm. coming, coming down the pipe. Right. At least they did the easiest part they could and then figuring out the rest of it sure. later. Right. Sure. So, so, well, it looks like we're actually about to take a break. So when we come back, we're going to continue to chat with Catherine about the FAFSA form and how to complete it to qualify for financial aid. You're listening to Biz Help for You with Candy Messer on Voice America Internet Radio. We'll be right back after this brief commercial break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you up late at night after a long day's work trying to do your bookkeeping? Are you frustrated with your lack of QuickBooks knowledge or feel you don't understand it at all? Do payroll tax calculations and reporting stress you out? Whether you're a sole proprietor or an officer of a corporation, Affordable Bookkeeping and Payroll Services is here to help. We work with overwhelmed entrepreneurs to remove the burden of bookkeeping and payroll tasks, giving them peace of mind and the freedom to do the parts of the business they love. Our bookkeeping clients include service-based businesses, such as medical offices, fast food restaurants, landscapers, and gyms. We also assist franchise owners to create the necessary reports to submit each month. We are a full-service payroll company, assisting clients of 1 to 120 employees. We offer full and self-service options. If you're ready to offload tasks that burden you, reach out to us today at 310-534-5577 or email contact at abandp.com. Call us today. Have peace of mind tonight. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access all the time. 
Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to BizHelp for You. If you have a question or comment about the show, send us an email to media at abnp.com. That's media at abandp.com. Now, back to BizHelp for You. Welcome back to BizHelp for You with Candy Messer. In the last segment, we discussed what the FAFSA is and why it's so important. Now, let's learn more about how to actually prepare this form. So, Catherine, what income is reported on the FAFSA? So, Candy, this is a good question, and there is a lot of complexities to the income question. I'm just going to talk, generally speaking, for the most part, any income that both the student and the parent receive from work, from self-employment, from investment dividends to untaxed income is reported on the FAFSA. And that's why the tax documents and the statements from banks and your investments is important to have because all income sources are reported for the most part. So I'm just going to move right into some income that's not counted. Um, And all of the instructions on the FAFSA application, when you're completing the FAFSA worksheet, there are instructions on the FAFSA worksheet. When you're completing the FAFSA online, there's a blue question mark that you can click that will provide all of the specific details about what to include and what not to include. When we're talking about the income component, to what to include and what not to include. The important thing is to not double count anything. Mm -hmm. Families will see the instructions and they'll say, well, I didn't include it up there, but then it was actually on their tax returns and it was in their AGI, so they often add income when they shouldn't have. So it's really important to follow and read each line on the FAFSA to make sure that there's not double counting. But what income is not reported would be any foster care or adoption payments. So if a family is is in the foster or adoption space, additional child tax credits, untaxed Social Security, SSI, military housing allowances, combat pay, and benefits from flexible spending. So the income that's excluded is very small. I listed Mm -hmm. maybe five or six items. It's very small to all of the different kinds of income sources that would be counted. And that's for both the parent and the student. And if there is no income, then you would put zero. Mm -hmm. But a caveat here, if you are a parent and putting zero income from any source, it's highly likely that the financial aid office at the schools that you are looking looking at will write to you and say, how are you supporting yourself if you report a zero? Zero. Mm-hmm. And that's the case with, I was thinking too while you were talking about like alimony or child support. So even if someone isn't technically working themselves and raising their children, they probably have some type of support and that would be considered taxable income. Correct. Then, right? Correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. So what assets are reported on the FAFSA? Well, the assets, again, uh, for the full list of assets, you would go to the FAFSA instructions. Again, uh, the question marks and the written instructions on the FAFSA. The assets basically include the, the cash and savings and investments, whether it be parent or student. And most specifically and more importantly to our parent listeners is that if you have been saving for your son or daughter's college education through a college savings plan, 
irrespective of whether or not it's in the student's name or in the parent name, you report that asset under the parent section. Mm -hmm. We want to make sure that any official college savings is reported as parent because it's assessed at a lower rate than that asset if it was reported as a student. So what's more fun to talk about, though, are the assets that are not included, Candy, because mm -hmm. this is a powerful list, and this list of exclusions is um, often missed by families. They don't understand the exclusions, and so they throw up their hands and say, I'm not going to be eligible for financial aid because I own a home. Mm -hmm or because I have a business. And that's actually not the case. For the FAFSA application and determining eligibility for federal student aid, the FAFSA is not gonna ask for the value of the primary residence. So your home that you live in with your family is not reported. You do not report the equity on your home. That being said, if you have a second home, a condo in vacation, a vaca home. vacation home in, in Hawaii, then you would have to report that as an asset. But the primary residence is not reported at, at all. If you have a, a farm and it's your family farm and the farm and your residence is on the farm, mm -hmm. you don't have to report that as part of a business. And for our business owners, if your business has less than 100 employees, you do not have to report any business asset. This is relatively new and mm -hmm. I think it's an important step uh, in making some equity um, shifts for mm -hmm. our business owners. So if you have no more than 100 full-time equivalent employees, then you do not have to report anything about the business on that side. And in addition, you don't have to report the value of your personal effects and items at home. You don't have to report jewelry. You don't have to report your car unless it's one of those fancy cars you keep in the garage for investment purposes. But the, the things in your home, you don't have to report the value of either. So we get to fortunately exclude our home equity businesses less than 100 employees. And I think, I mean, it's been a long time now since I've been in college, right? Because I'm... <laughs> I'm a parent of a college graduate myself, but I remember when I had to fill out a form and it might not even been called the FAFSA back then, it might have been something different, but I remember they took into consideration the value of my parents' home. Mm -hmm. And I thought that seemed unfair because it was like, they had said, well, your parents can take out a second. Sure. So you don't really need financial aid. I was like, why would my parents have to do that if it's for me? But I'm glad to see that that has changed. I, I will share with your listeners, Candy, that some colleges and universities in the United States will ask for additional form from the College Board called the CSS Profile. This is not in lieu of the FAFSA. It's an additional form mostly asked for by private schools. Uh, and it's offered by the College Board. It's called the CSS Profile. And that form does actually ask for mm -hmm. all of those income and assets that I said we could exclude. Mm -hmm. So the Stanfords, the Harvards, mm -hmm. the smaller publics, Occidental, USC, uh, there's just a small list of about 300 colleges and universities that will actually ask for all that information. But for completing the FAFSA, for a majority of the public schools throughout the U.S., none of that information is asked for. Okay, it's nice that there's been some updates over the years. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, so can you give us some of your top FAFSA completion tips? Certainly. So the absolute first tip is that you should always complete the FAFSA every single year. Mm -hmm. This is not a one and done thing. So you complete the FAFSA for your student for their freshman year, you absolutely need to complete it for their sophomore, junior, and senior year, and perhaps the fifth year. 
If you are having trouble completing the FAFSA, there's a help desk at the federal government website, and uh, you should never have to pay to complete the FAFSA. It's free. You never have to give your credit card. Mm -hmm. So if you're online and you're at, I know sometimes I look for federal forms and I click on a website and it says I have to pay $79. That's because I've gone to the wrong website. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to complete the FAFSA and you don't have to give your credit card to complete it. And again, there is a paper copy available. They've made it so easy through the mobile app and through the smart form online. So there's really no excuse to being able to complete it, except for what we're thinking in our head, which is I'm not gonna be eligible. I encourage every family to complete the FAFSA every single year, irrespective of what they think is gonna happen. And even if they're not eligible in the first year, it's important to complete it every single year anyways. We never know when things are going to happen. Right. And having the FAFSA done will just make a little bit things a little bit easier should there be a change in circumstance throughout the four years in college. Right. And you were saying that you don't have to pay to do this, but if someone's feeling completely overwhelmed or not sure what to do, there are you know, companies out there that can help with that. So do you recommend that they use them or do you recommend just do it yourself? And- well, every family is different. It's kind of like the tax return. So I am a college financial aid educator, and I believe that the best way to help a family navigate the complexities of the financial aid process is to learn the vocabulary and get access to the tools. That's what I teach through my online programs, the financial aid formula, winning strategies from grade school to, to graduation. So I believe if families have the vocabulary and the knowledge, use the worksheets, have their tax documents in front of them, they can, they can complete it. it. Mm-hmm. I don't think it, it is it is not as complicated as people think. It's just about sitting down and mm-hmm. taking, doing, the time. taking the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So what happens after a family completes the FAFSA? Well, can I actually share a few more tips? Oh, please. Sorry, I, I, I want to yeah. get these helpful tips yes, out. I are actually we, are we want them to have as much as possible. Okay, so uh, we talked about timelines at the mm-hmm. very, very beginning. And one of the things that families do is they procrastinate. So Mm -hmm. the FAFSA is available on October 1st every single year. And in particular in California, let's say as an example, the latest that we want a family to complete the FAFSA is March 2nd. Mm -hmm. That being said, if they don't complete the FAFSA by March 2nd, we still want them to complete it. But the, the nice thing or the, the reason for encouraging families to complete the FAFSA as early as possible is that uh, funding might run out, mm-hmm. not federal funding per se, but the campus funding, the funding that's provided by the school. So right. getting the FAFSA in early is critical. You don't have to get the FAFSA out on October 1st, but getting it in by at least the state deadlines is very critical and or the school deadlines. So pay attention again, like we talked about earlier, to the deadlines that the school is offering. We talked about the FSA ID candy already. Mm -hmm. You can complete the FAFSA without the FSA ID, but you can't sign it. So it doesn't make sense to start the the FAFSA first without the FSA ID. So that's an important tool and you can get that access to your FSA ID by going to fafsa.gov. And again, both the parent and the student need their FSA ID. I have a quick question while you're talking about the FSA ID. Mm-hmm. Let's say if a parent has gone in and, and they have theirs and they think their child has theirs, but their child didn't actually get it, can they tell when they log in or is it only on the child side that it would show 
that it's not signed? Like, would the parent be able to make sure that? So there's different ways to get into the FAFSA. The student can get in as the student, and the parent can get in as well with different with different markers, with a social security number, with their email, with their date of birth. But what we want families to do when they start to complete the FAFSA is we want them to get what's called a save key. And a save key is a temporary password that families can use to complete the FAFSA back and forth. So remember mm-hmm. I said if, if the student and the parent are across town or in right. different states, the save key is what can be used to pass and share the FAFSA application amongst the two. But we need each parent to log in and sign with their own FSA ID and the student to ultimately sign with their FSA ID. And they can tell who has and who hasn't signed? You know, Candy, I don't know the answer oh, okay. to that question. <laughs> okay, it's good. I, I'm curious. I, I, um, as I, a parent who knows that sometimes kids don't always get to it as quickly as you think they might, I was just wondering if there was a way. We can ask. We could double check with someone who's done it. Yeah. (laughs) So, Uh, so again, we talked about the DRT process. That's the IRS data retrieval tool. Again, I highly recommend that families use the DRT. And I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about some language that could Mm -hmm. be confusing. So, one of the questions that the FAFSA asks is, how many family members are in your household? So this question at first blush might seem very easy. If you're two parents with two kids, that's four members in your household. But if you have an older an older uh, son, you are who are you you who you are still supporting, even if they don't live with you, you can count that family member in your household. And if you have people in your household that are not your children, but you're supporting, like a grandparent mm-hmm. or an, an uncle or an aunt, you could also count them in your household. So when you don't just go ahead, if you have a, a blended family or a, an extended family, I should say, don't skip over the instructions because we want you to have as many people that you're supporting counted in your household size. The other question that comes with this question about your family size is how many family members are in your in college? Oftentimes, parents will not count themselves in college. So if you are a parent going to school, make sure you add yourself to the number of of family members that are in college. It's super important to do that. We talked about investments. We want to make sure that we're always using the net worth. Mm -hmm. So if if we're talking about an asset that has a liability, make sure that you use the, the net worth, the net value of that asset, not the asset. Don't forget the debt. Mm-hmm. We want to always make sure that we're um, making taking into consideration the debt. And um, for families that might be blended, uh, same-sex couples, unmarried couples, recently divorced, it's really important that you spend time reading the instructions because you don't want to include family members that shouldn't be included. Mm-hmm. Let me give you an example. I, um, I'm working with a family where the student has said that my, my mom is a single parent, but she completed the FAFSA application with her dad's information. Mm-hmm. So her financial aid eligibility shifted substantially. She should have excluded her dad, but she didn't understand the process well enough. So really it's important to read the instructions if you have a blended family or are going through a separation or divorce because you don't need to count that parent who's not the custodial parent or at least supporting the student at least 50 percent 
the social security conversation we've already talked about. I think that's uh, important. And then also when you complete the FAFSA, you're going to list the colleges that you're interested in attending. I would encourage you to list more than one college, Mm -hmm. even if you're just looking at one school. And if you will be living um, at home and you know for a fact that you'll be living at home, check the living at home box. But if you check the I'll be living on campus box, you'll have the chance to get more financial aid because it costs more Mm -hmm. to live on, on campus than it does at home. So if you check the at home box, and you're unsure, I would encourage families to check the on-campus box to get the maximum amount of financial aid that they're eligible for. Again, you can save the FAFSA at any time throughout the application, but you absolutely have to sign it with your FSA ID. So families will think, oh, I've completed it, Mm. but they didn't provide their FSA ID at the very end, which gives them the signature. And once you complete the FAFSA, you will get a response that says, we received your completed FAFSA. So that's an important thing to make sure that you sign in. A couple of things for our parents with boys. The boys, our boys between the ages of 18 and 26 must be registered with the Selective Service. And if they're not, they'll have to go down to the, to the post office box or to the library or go online and register. But there is an option for families to, for students to check the box, yes, please register me upon my 18th birthday. Mm. So our boys don't have to worry about going through that rigmarole. They can just check the box, yes, please register me for the selective service. Interesting. Do I have time for any more tips? I've got a whole bunch more. It looks like we have maybe about a minute or so left before break. All right. A couple of questions. Once you complete the FAFSA with one email, keep that email throughout the process. Don't change your email because you might lose communication with the U.S. Department of Education. That being said, all of the responses and much of the communication from the U.S. Department of Education regarding your FAFSA will be available online with your login credentials that we've already talked about. The, there is a question on the FAFSA, question number 31, that asks the students if they're interested in work, mm. in work programs. I would absolutely encourage you to check yes, because if you don't, schools might not offer you work study. So it's better to put a positive response in, right. an affirmative, and then get offered work study and decline it, rather than not getting it offered to you at, at all. Right. And I think you might have a little bit more information, but we're going to go to break and then we come back. We can continue if you have any additional tips. And then, of course, I have a few more questions for you as well. So uh, be sure to hang around to hear more from Catherine Graham of the Financial Aid Shop on this topic of tips for completing the FAFSA form properly. We'll be right back after this brief commercial break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you up late at night after a long day's work trying to do your bookkeeping? Are you frustrated with your lack of QuickBooks knowledge or feel you don't understand it at all? Do payroll tax calculations and reporting stress you out? Whether you're a sole proprietor or an officer of a corporation, Affordable Bookkeeping and Payroll Services is here to help. We work with overwhelmed entrepreneurs to remove the burden of bookkeeping and payroll tasks, giving them peace of mind and the freedom to do the parts of the business they love. 
Our bookkeeping clients include service-based businesses, such as medical offices, fast food restaurants, landscapers, and gyms. We also assist franchise owners to create the necessary reports to submit each month. We are a full-service payroll company, assisting clients of 1 to 120 employees. We offer full and self-service options. If you're ready to offload tasks that burden you, reach out to us today at 310-534-5577 or email contact at abandp.com. Call us today. Have peace of mind tonight. If you are interested in the business of rental equipment, be sure to check out Rental Equip Talk Radio with host Donald Charbonnet. We talk to some of the top names in the rental industry, as well as cover topics that include safety, training, fleet management, legal issues, and more. We'll also cover the history and future of the rental equipment industry. Rental Equip Talk Radio can be heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to BizHelp for You. If you have a question or comment about the show, send us an email to media at abandp.com. That's media at abandp.com. Now, back to BizHelp for You. Welcome back to BizHelp for You with Candy Messer. Today, I'm chatting with Catherine Graham of the Financial Aid Shop. Let's find out a bit more information about the FAFSA and how financial aid is determined using the information provided. So, Catherine, I'd actually had a question that I thought of earlier, um, and I think now is the easiest time to bring it back up. But you had mentioned if someone were going to apply for the summer, they could do the prior or they could do for the 2021. And I would have thought just if you had, you know, registered before or applied before, it would carry through the summer. So is that for someone who's just starting for the summer or what So summer's tricky. (laughs) So what I would encourage a family to do is... Let's say you already have a student in college and didn't apply for financial aid for the 1920 year. You could apply for a financial aid now, and as long as they were enrolled in the fall and in the spring term, they would be eligible for financial aid uh, retroactively. Mm. Now, summer is often a trickier term, requires a complimentary application by the school. And depending on whether or not summer is a trailer or a header, Mm. it determines which financial aid application the family would use. So fall, spring, summer, summer is a trailer and they would complete the 1920 FAFSA. But if summer was a header and that it started before the fall term and after July 1st, summer is a header Mm. and the family would complete the 2021 FAFSA for summer financial aid. So some students, because we're completing the FAFSA so early, it's a, it's a no-brainer. We've already completed both the 1920 and the 2021, but many schools will ask for additional supplemental or complementary application to make sure that the school knows that you're really interested in mm-hmm. summer because summer is not usually a, a, a semester that we would process financial aid independently. Mm-hmm. It's either tied to the end of one year or the beginning of the next. Okay, interesting. I just I had you know, prompted my thoughts on that. Sure. I'm glad you were able sure. to answer that question sure. for me. 
So I know you were just giving lots of tips on how to fill out the form. So then what happens after a family actually completes that FAFSA? So after the FAFSA is completed, the student will be able to receive what's called a student aid report or an SAR. And this is an important document for every family to review the data to make sure that they provided complete information. If they completed the FAFSA with a DRT, the line items will say DRT. You won't see any of your tax information. But if you didn't complete the FAFSA with a DRT, all of your financial information will be reported from mm -hmm. the, the input that you provided on the tax returns. So you should always verify that that information is correct. So after you've verified the information on the student aid report, there are some things to look out for. The first thing is in the top right-hand side of the student aid report, you will see what's uh, called the EFC. This is a number that the federal government will use that basically will tell you what they think you can contribute to your child's education. Now, let's say the EFC is $10,000. That doesn't mean that you'll pay $10,000. You could pay much less or you could pay much more, but it is the marker that the federal government uses to determine their eligibility for some of the lower income programs like the federal Pell Grant. Mm -hmm. But the EFC is an important marker to give you an idea of at least what the federal government thinks that you can pay. Now, right next to this EFC candy is if you're, if you're, FAFSA, if you made some mistakes on your FAFSA, say on your Social Security card or on your immigration card, let's say you've defaulted on a student loan, you will see the letter C next to your EFC. And this is an important note because the schools will not be able to process your financial aid without you correcting this information. Mm. Both the student aid report and your schools will tell you what you need to do to collect the, correct this information. And last but not least, the important asterisk. <laughs> if you see an asterisk next to your EFC, this means that you've been selected for verification. Now, this is not anything to panic about. 30% of the families that complete the FAFSA will be selected for verification. And all you need to do is just follow the steps provided by the schools. You may have to provide information to the schools reporting your household size and the number of family members in college. You might be asked to submit your tax returns. You also might be asked in lieu of your tax returns to submit an IRS tax transcript. So I encourage every family while they're completing the FAFSA, the next step is to go to the IRS and ask for a tax transcript just to make sure that you have that when your schools ask for it. Many schools will not process their financial aid eligibility for their students until after verification is completed. So it's important to respond as promptly as possible to schools requests for verification. So get that tax transcript. I have a question for you, Candy. Do you ask your, your tax clients to ever get an IRS tax transcript? Well, actually, I don't do income tax returns That's on the right. personal That's side. Right. So I always just tell them to deal with the CPA. <laughs> tell the CPA to do it. That's right. That's right. My apologies. That's okay. So I think it's a good idea for all of us, mm -hmm. even if we're not FAFSA filers, to get a copy of our transcripts just to make sure that it's all done correctly. Interesting. And compared to what you have on the printed tax returns, yes. make mm -hmm. sure. That, mm -hmm. That's a good tip. 
So the verification process, again, it's not something to be afraid of. But for those of you who are thinking of perhaps fudging a data point or two, no. the, verification, <laughs> the verification process is where that uh, information could come to light. Mm-hmm. So uh, they can't verify anything, but they will ask for W-2s to see untaxed income, say, for example, contributions towards your retirement that's considered untaxed income, though the value of your retirement is not counted. I think I forgot to mention that, Candy. I don't think you did mention that. So one of the other assets that you don't report on your FAFSA is your your retirement savings, any official retirement savings vehicle. You do not have to report that asset. But you do have to report the contribution that you make towards your retirement. Oh, I see. So that's if you considered put in a 5500 or something, yes. you would put that, but you wouldn't say I have 58,000 saved. Correct. Okay. Correct. So the the schools will ask for information if they feel that they need to verify that information about both your income and your assets. So on that report, when you say there's an asterisk, is that the federal government that then is selecting them, but then they give it to the school? That's what it sounded like to me, but I'm not sure I understood that correctly. So the federal government produces the FAFSA, gets our families to complete it, generates a student aid report, and generates the EFC, and does the selection for verification, about 30% of the mm-hmm. population. It is then the school's job to, to, double check. to complete this verification process because, in essence, the schools are the stewards of the federal financial aid programs. They're the stewards of the state program and mm-hmm. the stewards of, the, of their own funding. So... Um, if the student, if you are selected for verification, both the student and the parent will need to provide their information about their income and their assets. And there's different forms that the schools can use. And these are typically very clearly called financial aid verification forms. So there's a verification form for dependent students. There's a verification form for independent students. So uh, one other thought that I just had then too is if the schools are the ones that have to follow us up, if a student has applied to six schools, then I assume they have to give it to all six schools. Correct. Oh, so that's a lot of paperwork that yes. they can be having yes. to submit yes. for verification. Yes. And things are getting a little bit more complicated. It is not uh, recommended that when you send this information to schools, you send it over email. Mm-hmm. It's recommended that you fax it or you use each school's document management upload process or submit their forms through their self-service portal. Schools are communicating much of their conversations about financial aid, the application, the financial aid eligibility, what's missing through the portals, these Mm self-service portals, that technically at this point, predominantly only students can see, but the parent can complete the forms, get them into the portal, and they'll be automatically uploaded to the school. So it's not recommended that anything with personal information be emailed. Use use the fax machine, (laughs) use the self-service portal, or the document upload process that should be available on most colleges and universities' websites. Right. You shouldn't really be ever emailing those personal documents to anyone. No. (laughs) So so what are some important college planning tools that um, while families are waiting for the FAFSA results? Great question. This will have to be our last question. And this this is my favorite question, and this is really where I feel um, I'm adding value to our our families with students as early as eighth grade is that I believe, again, if we have the tools and understand the vocabulary, we'll have greater success in selecting colleges that our students can afford, both today and in the long term regarding student loan debt. So 
Some of the tools that I really recommend that families use is first is the FAFSA forecaster. This is a, a, a mirror, a copy of the FAFSA application where you could go to the FAFSA forecaster at, at studentaid.gov or fafsa.gov and complete all of the information we provided, income and asset information, the dependency status, and it will tell you what your expected family contribution is in a little tiny print on the fifth page. Mm -hmm. But if you want to rush out and get your EFC today, you can do that without completing the FAFSA. And you can also play around with the variables too mm -hmm. to see if you this situation was different or if I lost my job and my income dropped or if my son went off to got married and was no longer my household, you can play around with your variables to see what your EFC is. The other thing is is that the federal government requires every college and university in the country to have what's called a net price calculator. And on the net price calculator, a family can go to and type in virtually the same information as the FAFSA, including perhaps some SAT and grade information. And the output that you get from this would tell you what financial aid you'd get from the school. They should be able to tell you the free funding, mm -hmm. the work, and the loans that your student would be eligible for. So that's a really helpful tip for pre-planning. And the last thing is I encourage families to look at the college scorecard to look at outcomes. And by outcome, I mean um, how many students graduated in four years, how many students graduated in six or eight, because that's really gets back to affordability. Mm -hmm. It's much cheaper to graduate in four years sure. than it is to graduate in six years. And there's information about salary of the graduates, how many students are returning after their first year, and what the average net price is per student. So those would be my top three tools. Perfect. Well, we're at the basically the end of the show. So I know you have an offer you want to share. So let us know what you have and how people can connect with you. Certainly. So the financial aid shop is, uh, I'm online at www.thefinancialaidshop.com. And um, I encourage families with students as early as eighth grade to check out my online program. It's about 18 videos that cover everything from how to apply. We go into detail on all of the things that we've talked about. And it is available online for you and for your consideration. But if you call me or email me, uh, Catherine at the financial aid shop .com, or call me at 562-754-5351, I will give you an opportunity if you sign up for my course an additional half hour to make sure that you're completing your FAFSA accurately and answer any questions that you might have. Fabulous. I know that's going to be really helpful to some people. So hopefully give her a call and <laughs> reach out. She's got some great things to help you with. So, but Catherine, thank you so much for being my guest today. I really appreciate it. And to the listeners, thank you for joining me today. I hope you found this topic interesting and that it answered some questions about the FAFSA form and how the information is used to determine your financial aid. If you have any additional questions or comments, be sure to reach out to Catherine at any of the links she shared, or you can send us a message at media at abandp.com. Next week's topic is Get Speaking Gigs Now. I hope you can join us for this presentation. And please remember you can connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And my website is www.abandp.com. Links can be found on my Voice America page. And would you please share our show information with those you know? I'd really appreciate your support. 
Remember, tune in each Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And if you can't join us for the live show, you can find the episode saved on the business channel on www.voiceamerica.com or find the podcast posted on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. Until next time, have a great week. Thank you for listening to Biz Help For You. Please join your host, Candy Messer, again next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a terrific week.